this week on Inside the SECA Spec MX-5. Welcome to Inside the SECA. Brian Volansky here. This week we're talking about one of the newest classes in the SECA, Spec MX-5. Joining us on the show tonight from, well, one of you guys is from Mazda Motorsports. You know him. He's been on the show before. Josh Smith is here. Sean Hedrick. He's kind of the guy who's responsible for this. Um, Sean, I gotta, I'm going to have some bones to pick with you in this. I, ha- I didn't <laughs> warn you ahead of time. Um, but no worries. You, you, you may make me eat crow. And I don't <laughs> like that, dude. I just... <laughs> I just don't like it. Um, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but first of all, Sean uh, or um, Josh, I'm going to have you hang tight for just a second because you've already answered oh. this question once. I'm going to come back to you and ask you to give me like the Reader's Digest condensed version because you've already gone through this process once. But Sean, you're on the hot seat now. Um, how did you get mixed up in this crazy sport that we love? I've been a kind of a car nerd since I was a little kid. And um, in my late 20s, I uh, purchased a uh, RX-7 Challenge car, uh, one of those um, kind of first-gen narrow-body uh, RX-7 rotary cars. There was a spec class in the Pacific Northwest that uh, that we would run it in, ran that for a few years, uh, decided I wanted to go a little faster. So I built a e-production uh, RX-7. Um, you know, guys like, um, back in the day, uh, Tom Thrash, uh, Tony Rivera, you know, I always loved watching those EP races at the runoffs. I'd go back to mid Ohio, uh, just to spectate and, um, just kind of fell in love with it and, um, really liked the EP car better than the RX seven challenge car. And at that point in time, spec Miata was just starting to kind of get started. So I rented my RX seven challenge car and somebody crashed it. So instead of rebuilding it, uh, you know, all my buddies, of course, late twenties are all, let me drive your race car. And Uh they just didn't get it. So I figured, well, let's build a Miata, something they can drive. And I kind of fell in love with it. It was a lot less maintenance and, um, you know, it was, it was still the fun factor. Right. So as the class grew, that kind of, kind of became a passion of mine and, from there, it just escalated. So I've got different uh, race cars. I think I've got 13 or 14 race cars right now. So different marks, different um, different things. But the Mazda product is really the one I keep kind of gravitating back to. So just kind of been a car dork for a long time. Oh, car dork. That might be what I'm going to use as your lower third. <laughs> I put Mazda guy because you're not a Mazda motorsports guy, but you're a Mazda guy. Mazda, yeah. if I'm talking like some of the other people out there. Um, so. Um, Josh, now it's your turn. We've heard the question. We know the answer, but we're going to hear it again. Uh, what What was your path to this crazy, nutty stuff? Oh, I blame my father. I, that's the easiest answer, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I grew up total gearhead father. I uh, went to school for cars. It became a passion as soon as I could drive. Um, probably shockingly enough, it didn't become a passion before that, but I was too into other sports at that time. So uh, went to school. Uh, you wanted to learn uh, very much uh, the technical prowess. And you know, as, as Sean mentioned, you know, kind of just the car nerd, want to figure out how everything works. It was that that intrigue and interest as to uh, what makes things tick. Um, did a little bit of stuff in NASCAR for a little while. 
then uh, came over the sports car side of things. I've, I've really enjoyed uh, the sports car racing and road course racing. Uh, was lucky enough to uh, land a job with with Mazda Motorsports here and, and be part of manufacturer support. It's uh, it's really been a blessing. And and since we've spoke last time, I've uh, taken on a little bit different role within the department. I'm now the business development manager uh, for Mazda Motorsports and really oversee a lot of the grassroots programs. SpecMX5 being the major part of it, uh, as we're going to talk about tonight. So, what does a motorsports development manager do? You know, um, I wish the job description could describe it all. <laughs> it's probably the uh, the most unfair part about it all. Um, really, anything that drives people to this department and drives people to motorsports. Um, you know, any kind of initiative or thought process we can come up with to uh, get more people uh, into motorsports. It's really about the health and future of motorsports, which is a part of what we're going to speak about tonight as well. Uh, we're really trying to future-proof some of the things uh, for this department and for racing. Uh, you know, lowering barriers to entry, whether that be knowledge or cost, uh, are certainly big things a part about it. And uh, making sure we're keeping tabs on all of the new organizations and all of the new classes and and opportunities to go racing in this country at a grassroots level. So it's it's really managing kind of all of that as a whole and understanding that atmosphere. All right, so we got to give a shout out. There's somebody watching who people in the SCCA are going to know. Abby Sure. Um, why 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 might she be watching watching Josh? Well, that's uh, that is my younger sister. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, no surprise. Uh, you know, I kind of teed that up and sent her the link. Actually, so you, you might have, <laughs> you might have. Um, Abby's great, by the way. I, I got to work with her last year for the the convention and um, two years ago, I guess. And um, she's like, "Yeah, you got to get my brother on. He's a he's he's the he's the Mazda guy, the Mazda guy." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, we'll get him on." And then you came on, and we talked about about the spec uh, spec Miata and a bunch of other stuff. I think we touched a little bit on spec MX5, or it was it MX5 Cup that we talked about last time? A little bit of both. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. There's, there's there's some. There's some symmetries there for sure. So we talked about a little bit of both. And Sean, you have for the Spec Miata world a long history, also, right? You you've got a little thing you did there that I know I know about. When uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what you're talking about, I, I could guess, but yeah, no, I've been uh, had an opportunity to run some some fairly big races. Um, won the longest endurance race in North America twice. Um, I was fortunate enough to win a uh, a national race um, for a different organization um, back at Miller Motorsports Park. You could say it. Um, yeah, so a NASA won a, <laughs> won a NASA championship race back when they had three races. So that was kind of a fun one. Yeah. I uh, I spent about five years uh, as one of the lead instructors at Miller Motorsports Park. So uh, that that race was held at Miller, and I had some really good track knowledge there, and had a good time, and. Uh, won the first race out of the gate, and then my two other teammates won the second and the third race. So it was uh, kind of a fun event. And you were also part of Mazda Cages, right? Was that was that your deal? Did I lose? Sorry, you you froze on me for a second. Say again. Uh, yeah, uh, you, you were part of Mazda Cages, right? Uh, Miata Cage. Oh, Miata so, Cage, right? Um, yeah, that was. A yeah, so that was a company. Um, I'm a I'm a six one two forty guy. So when I <laughs> wanted to build a Miata, there wasn't a cage that really fit very well. And as a as a former business guy, I'm like, if I need it, somebody else needs it. So 
decided to build a company around need and tire budget and 20 years later and 50 some odd parts later it's it's turned into uh, a little bit more of a tire budget thing yeah. than i originally anticipated but uh yeah so we've been doing that since uh early 2000s so i've got a different problem than you you're, you're tall <laughs> i'm just wide so uh my, my problem is less in cages than it is in car seats so uh we should we should talk uh, <laughs> um yes all right, so we're here tonight, though, for a specific reason. Josh sent me an email and said, hey, let's get back on uh, and let's talk about this Spec MX-5. And um, here is my bone to be picked. I have been a, a person on this podcast. We're on 113 now. And um, you could probably queue up 25 of them where I rail on the fact that the Sports Car Club of America has way too many classes. And now we're talking about a new class, Spec, MX, Spec MX-5. Now, I'm also a huge proponent of Spec classes. You know, without Spec Miata, without Spec Racer Ford, um, this club may not have a road racing program right now. Um, the, those two classes alone are the the lifeblood of a race weekend for most regions um they make up i would guess 30 percent of the fields or more on some weekends um so spec classes i'm, I'm all for um they're easy entry point sometimes you're a less expensive entry point um because there's nothing cheap in motorsports so tell me why i shouldn't be really really ticked off that we're putting together that there's another class that I want to think about now. Well, um, well you're assuming that we're just going to add one, <laughs> right? I'm not, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> I'll touch it. So, but, but uh, I will say, um, if you're a proponent of spec racing, this is, this is the, uh, this is the top stone. You know, this is, this is where it's at. Um, this is everything you like about spec Miata and, and then some. You know, we really, uh, our goal was to take everything you like about Spec Miata, learn from it, build from it, um, and try to improve it as much as possible. Um, and we're seeing the growth rate uh, just to, you know, showcase what you're saying. You know, you're not the only one that likes Spec classes, and, there, and there's solid reasons behind it. Right. Um, this class forces you to build a competitive car, um, so it's not necessarily an entry-level class, um, but it is a very competitive class, and the beauty of it is... Uh, despite um, what you think about the NC chassis or the NC platform, no matter what year you pick as the donor car, you can absolutely build the exact same car. Uh, the rule set allows you to do that. Right. And the beauty, the beauty of this is we built the car you want to go racing, and then we wrote the rule set around it, which is typically the opposite of what you kind of see from a rule set. It's typically a rule set's drawn up, and then you try to build a car into that box. Um, we... We founded this class on four pillars, and that was really the cornerstone of it was the affordable, fun-to-drive, techable, and affordable platform that we wanted to build. And then we, we went and tested it and developed it and, and then really dug in deep and tried to make sure that we held true the, to the homologation when we wrote the rule set. Right. Uh, so that, that was, that, those, that's really the big reasons why this class. Uh, a little so, bit more modern platform as well. That uh, you know, that's a that's a key that's a key learning curve for some of the older cars. So. 
So Brian, I completely agree with you, right? <laughs> there's there's already a lot of classes. So in order to um, you know, look at this from a business perspective, we can't, I don't believe, we can't have a runoffs class where five cars show up. That's right. just not long-term viable, right? So, you know, being the chair of the of the Spec Miata rule set and committee, you know, Spec Miata is is very near and dear to my heart and Josh's and, and a lot of people's. And we want to make sure that thing lives on forever. But when when we start looking at the age of the cars and the age of some of the drivers, in some cases, the drivers, you know, these cars, they're just way older than the drivers. They have no interest in racing something so old. So when when Josh and I decided that we would try to push for a national class, we just took a look at some basic stats. And in 2022, in six events, we outperformed eight of the of the SECA national classes that had 32 events. So for me, it was kind of a no-brainer. Like, look, the numbers are here. We're not saying, you know, build it and they will come. We have it. We're bringing it, right? We're trying to bring it on a platter and say, here it is. We need a place to run. We have people who want to go for a national championship. You know, often folks say to me, they're like, well, you know, it looks really cool and I like what you guys have done, but I want to race for a national championship. And until if and when it goes national, you know, we just haven't had the ability to do that. But I would agree. I would not support just adding another class. I, I don't think that's right. a healthy way to do it. Right. So, and, and we've, we've heard those same concerns from NCCA as well is, is where do we have, where do we have space for you? And right. they're being very accommodating. Uh, as you know, we're at the runoffs this year. That has been an awesome bit of news for us. And, and we, we cannot wait to put this on that national stage as, as a guest appearance. Um, and, it, and it's really a, a positive conversation that's happened all year long about how do we make this a national class with the SCCA right. um, as soon as next year. You know, they've, they've even, went, when they debuted it and made the announcement for the runoffs, they talked about it, you know, as soon as they can do something, um, they really want to. And, we, and we're right there in lockstep with them. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I, 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 I guess I kind of kid, but I don't when I ask that question. You know, and and when it was announced that you guys were going to be with us at the runoffs, there was some pushback. You know, we already have 27. How do we squeeze in a 28th race or whatever it is, 26 and squeezing in 27? Um, And, um, um, you know, and and whether or not this was part of the thought process of bringing you guys on board. um, Car car counts are down this year at VIR, and it's an expensive event to run. And how many cars are you guys going to bring with you to, to the runoffs this year? We're really, we're really shooting for 20 plus cars we'll have for this class for the runoffs. Yeah. Um, the final number is still yet to be in as registration is still open, but we're already at 20. Yeah. Um, I think we'll see a little bit more by the end of the week. Uh, I think that's early registration close and the Mazda paddock closes by the end of the week. So that's, that's really what we're targeting. Well, and, and that's more cars than a couple of classes that are national classes right now. Yep. If we surpass 20, that should put us at the seventh highest attendance class yeah. uh, by, by the numbers so far. So do, do you see this, and I'm jumping ahead maybe, um, but we're uh-huh. going to jump around a little bit. Um, um, do you see this as the the what will eventually sunset the older spec Miatas? It's certainly not our goal, but, you know. Well, let's, let's be honest. I mean, some of our classes, Miatas, it's still – what 1990s is the oldest spec Miata um, out there, but you've, we've got classes out there where people are having to manufacture parts because they can't put parts for their cars. You know, at some point in time, we're going to run out of parts for the older spec Miatas. 
So I asked that not as a negative. I asked that as the natural progression of, of where the Miata spec world goes. Um, how long is Mazda going to make all these parts, and especially the performance parts, to go with those older with with those older cars? You're not going to answer that question for me. I know that, Josh. Um, I will. Okay. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I will answer as best as I can. How about yeah. that? <laughs> so Brian, there's a group um, about God. It's been maybe four or five years now. There's a group um, called FOSUM, Future, Future of Spec Miata, that consists of um, some internal Topeka folks, some Mazda folks, and some outside. Um, consultants that are looking at parts right. for these cars to make sure that we can continue to find some way to make them, either bringing bringing them over domestically to be made if they're currently made elsewhere, um, finding an alternate source, you know, and then that kind of folds into how the rules, what the rules were allowed for. But Spec Miata, for sure, at least in my viewpoint, is is near and dear to all of our hearts. Nobody wants to see it go away, but with age comes complexity. Um, cylinder heads aren't available, crankshafts aren't available. There's right. things that are just really hard to get these days. But, you know, Josh and his team have been have been great with being able to come up with budget, uh, as well as just technical resources and support to look at a product or look at a piece and and try to find a way to make sure that it sticks around forever. Like a, a hardtop is a is a pretty good example of that. Um, hardtops these days are ridiculously expensive, right? And right. the rules say OEM only, so. You know, the FOSUM committee is looking at an aftermarket hardtop that weighs the same, has the same profile, but is half the cost. So there are some some things in place to try to make sure that this lasts as long as it can possibly last. Right, right. And, and, and I'll back that up. We are constantly making uh, decisions and having conversations with MC Japan to safeguard these parts. Um, you know, realistically, MX-5 parts are you know, for the most part, considered some legacy parts that we want to continue to make as long as we can. But the current atmosphere of OEMs and, and some of this EV push, they, they've got to make room on a manufacturing standpoint to be able to build other things. Um, so we will continue to try to safeguard MX-5 parts as long as we possibly can. But the, the cold, hard reality of it is, you know, age makes this difficult and, and, and buying volume makes it difficult, you know. Um, the aftermarkets have really caught on to the NAs and the NVs, you know, just from a parts store standpoint. I mean, look what you can go buy at a parts store uh, for an NA and NV now. Um, you know, people are making control arms. You know, that's that's a new influx into it in the past couple of years. You know, obviously bushings, brake rotors, and, and things like that. But um, parts like that start to dilute a spec series when you're not requiring OEM parts because right. you don't necessarily know that they conform to the same specification. And that ultimately is the thing that we're always trying to safeguard with SM. You know, a doorman control arm is not the same as a Mazda control right. arm, just dimensionally. Well, and, not even into it any farther than that. And, and anybody who spent any time doing uh, aftermarket parts for any kind of car, um, especially some of the Japanese made cars and the Asian cars, you, you, you find that they, they look alike, they fit, but they're not necessarily as strong. They're maybe not made to the same spec that, that are made from OEM. Um, brake rotors are a perfect example. I can't tell you how many times I curse myself for putting on, you know, non OEM brake rotors. It's it, it, what did it save me? 50 bucks for a set of brake rotors. I don't know. Um, but you, there's no quality control or the quality control is different. I should say there's no quality control. The quality control is different when you're not buying OEM 
Um, and and like you said, you can't guarantee, and you can't even guarantee that you know if you were to buy fifteen control arms, that you're going to get fifteen identical control arms, right? And and that causes unique issues within a spec series, right? You know, yes, that works for the streetcar application, but does that work for scrutineering right. on a spec series? You know, to the level that we're running in SM right now. I mean, SM is very tight for what it is, which is essentially four different cars within a spec series that have been BOP. And the racing is so tight that something like that can can affect it in right. some manner. Yeah, I kind of wanted to start us off here by taking on that that animal, that 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 elephant in the room. Because uh, I know that's what people are, are, are thinking about, what spec Miata drivers are thinking about. Um, you know, is my class going away? Is it not going to be supported anymore? Um, the answer to that is no. Um, no. Um, Mazda, Mazda has no reason to pull the rug out from underneath itself, especially Mazda Motorsports in this country, to try to replace right. Spec Miata with Spec MX-5. It, it's something that can live in tandem with each other, and we have enough ability and enough budget and enough technical prowess and enough staffing to support both. Nice. That's the bottom line. Nice. And they're different, right? I mean, we took all the good from Spec Miata, and and Spec Miata is really spec-ish, right? Miata, it, it's you know four platforms, four motors. Right. You know, there's there's a lot of it's not as spec as as one would like. So we took all the good from Spec Miata, and then improved upon the areas that we could improve upon with a true spec car, uh, and we're able to homologate parts and make it so that anybody who builds a car is building a car, whether at home or in a shop is equally as competitive as the rest of the cars out there. It's right. not, you know, somebody with an, a junkyard motor and somebody with a pro motor. They're all the same motor. Right, right. All right, so now that we've got all that stuff out of the way, let's dig and let's dig deep. Um, when did you guys decide that this was going to be, you know, who, who hatched it and, and when did it get hatched? I think you could start to who hatched it, Sean, and then I'll pick it, I'll, I'll pick it pick up there. Late... Um, Late 2015, um, Josh's uh, predecessor, David Cook, and I started having some conversations about just what does the future look like, right? Um, from there, you know, we, we kind of had some discussions and talked about all kinds of crazy things and what may or may not be possible. Um, 2016, conversations continue. We start kind of forging a little bit down a path. Uh, Josh comes on board in 18. Um, David uh, Cook, who had a great vision of what this could be, was was fortunate enough to to really pick the right guy to come on board. And Josh, being technical um, and just having a great overall uh, understanding of how these things work and how we can improve upon them. So at that point, he kind of turned, as I recall it, he turned Josh and I loose on, let's see what you guys can do. And yeah. from there, Josh is like, well, you know, why don't we have a CNC cylinder head, right? Why do we have four cylinder heads and with different rules in Spec Miata? Let's go to one. And then it was like, all right, well, who do we go to for that? Well, let's call Roush. I know a guy at Roush. Let's call him up. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And it just kind of, I'll let Josh take over from there, but it kind of started slow. And then once we had the time and resources to de dedicate to it, it went fairly fast. I mean, we went from, you know, from 2018 to cars on track in two years um, you know, once we really put the foot down, that was fairly quick. So yeah, and we, and, and a lot of that has to do with, we had a lot of experience with the NC, you know, that was the originator of MX5 cup. Uh, we were also running them in SRO, uh, in two classes right. as well as IMSA. Well, all within that time frame with the SP cars. 
you know, we kind of went from wild to wild between those three classes with the IMSA cars being really kind of the, the wild package from a, a seam welded chassis right. with, uh, you know, keeping up with other manufacturers and, and that type of situation. So we, we knew the wide spectrum is really the bottom line, you know, from a spec series from the old Playboy Cup cars, um, which these are very similar to Playboy Cup, uh, despite what a lot of people you know, may remember. Um, the suspension package is similar, uh, same spring rate, same bars, uh, which translates over to the T4 cars, got the same spring rates and same bars. Um, the Skip Barber cars were very close, um, although it was a Playboy Cup package car. Um, Barber spec their own shock and spring package uh, through Penske. And that's ultimately uh, where we went with the Spec MX-5 cars. We ended up landing with Penske with the same springs and bars as the old Playboy Cup cars. Right. So we had a lot of, you know, kind of uh, learned knowledge from the years of running Cup and the years of running the IMSA cars and the, and the SRO World Challenge cars with the bigger 2.5 motors. Uh, so we, we, we really knew the strengths and weaknesses of the NC, uh, and we just built upon that. But yeah, you know, to Sean's point, you know, it's kind of a blank sheet of paper. Uh, how can we make this the same and how can we make it to where anybody could build something like this in their garage um, or have a shop build it? You know, we we, we knew that a, a single manufacturer like the current generation cup car does not work very well in the grassroots atmosphere. People need to be able to build, build a car in their garage and need to be able to maintain it if anything goes wrong rather than having to have a single source for everything. So... So uh, we we thought that was important as well. So can I build that in my garage? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. You know, I, I would say short of a few things that people would farm out, like maybe paint and cage, um, engine maybe being the third one, uh, or you can choose to build a, a crate or buy a crate motor from us. Um, you could absolutely assemble something in your garage. Cool. Cool. That was one of my one of my big questions. I think that was somewhat of the allure of the original spec mx5 is that you could do it or the spec miata you could do it in your garage or you could you could go to one of the big guys who had success and have them do it for you and you could see on any weekend successful drivers who've done it both ways um you know and that's pretty cool so if i choose to do this hypothetically do I just do you send me a do you send me an instruction manual? Is there is there a, a already set up systemology for people who want to start and do this? Um, I would say the rule set of homologation is a real good base to start to understand. Um, it highlights all of the parts, all of the required parts. Um, we also have a lot of part spotlights on the MazdaMotorsports.com uh, homepage. Uh, so there's a there's a wealth of information out there available. Um, all of the parts that we produce from a competition part standpoint come with install instructions. We have really tried to make this a non-fabricating required class. And Sean could probably speak a little more to this. We've tried to make this as easy and turnkey as possible. Um, short of having somebody put a cage in it, if, if that is not within your wheelhouse, um, this is very much a home builder class. Um, you know, I know, uh, to kickstart it, we had a bunch of shops build it and they've all done very, you know, well jobs of, of producing, you know, top turnkey cars, but that's not the only path. And we understand that. And, and to your point, Spec Miata is successful because there's multiple paths to get to the same, you know, solution, so to speak. Right. And we wanted to very much be able to consider that here as well. 
I, and Brian, oh, we, go ahead. there is a, a website, specmx5.com, that has kind of a, how do I get involved? How do I get started? What are the parts I need? So yes, there are some some things out there to make it easy for people to figure out what parts are needed and where to go from there. So if I put a spec MX-5 car next to a spec Miata, tell me what I'm going to see different. And, and maybe a little bit of why. Obviously, it's different because it's a different car. But, you know, what, what, what did you take from one and improve on? What, what areas did you say we could do this better? What are we looking at? I would, I would say one of the, uh, the key differences from car to car before you even get into the rule set is the technology gap difference between the two cars. Um, the NA and the NB was a fairly unsophisticated car, um, you know, mostly because of the price point they were trying to build to. They're, they're built into the masses. I mean, we've built a million Miatas now to date, uh, or over a million Miatas now to date, I should say, to be accurately. And the NC was a technology jump. Um, factory wideband in the car. Um, CAN bus systems, ABS, um, the amount of data and technology that we can pull out of that car just from a, an aim and a tech and a scrutineering standpoint is amazing. Uh, I mean, we could see how slow or fast somebody shifts the car, for example. Right. So when we get questions of straight line speed, we can really dive into the details. Um, from a rule set and how we approached it standpoint, um, I think the biggest thing is knowing no matter what car you build or you buy from a starting base, whether it's a 2006 car or 2015 car, you can end up with the same spec race car. Uh, all of the updates and backdates from the 09 plus cars are welcome in the early cars. Um, we added some things based on some feedback from some of our current competitors within the Mazda realm, like um, Spec MX-5 has adjustable shocks. Uh, spec Miata does not. Okay. Um, Spec MX-5 uh, allows um, teams to, I guess, play with more chassis setup would be really the big thing. There's a lot more adjustment within the NC than the NB would have, or the DNA for that matter, just because of the multi-link rear end setup. And uh, the, the way these cars were designed, this car behind me, the RX-8, was a shared engineering project with the, uh, the MX-5. So a lot of the pieces and parts from the RX-8 our durability updates for the MX-5, simply because this car was bigger and heavier. So front and rear hubs from the RX-8 are able to go onto the spec MX-5 for durability. Um, we put, you know, obviously the the NC is the biggest Miata to date. Um, you know, that's usually seen as a negative in the community, but it comes with some pluses. You can get, you got more cabin space, you get the biggest wheel entire package, you get the largest brakes still that have been put on the cars. Um, it had a, a, a really good engine package. Um, we're looking at about 170 horsepower on these cars. It was about 145 pounds of torque um, at the tire um, in a 2,500 pound car. You know, it's a it's a really strong package. And roughly, I will say it's, it's hard to average this for every track. You know, there's, you know, horses for horses, so to speak, but roughly we're Two and a half, three seconds faster than Spec Miata, depending on where we go, um, and you know about about two seconds faster than the equivalent T4 car as well. And a lot of that comes down to we kept the weight out of the car, um, and and that's even with a tire deficient um, compared to what you would see. You know these cars run on a Toyo, which is generally a little harder, a little more durable uh, than your comparative uh, Hoosier that you would see on a Touring Four car or or an SM. Right. If before we so go. Real quick, Sean, before you jump sure. in, um, for those who might not be Mazda aficionados, 
Well, NANC, just give us a quick rundown of the different types so we're all on the same page. Sure, sure. So the NA was first generation MX-5 or Miata. Um, the NB, which came around in 99, uh, it ran to 05, which had two versions within that as well as the as the second generation. And the NC that the, the Spec MX-5 class is based off of is the third generation Miata, which is 06 to 15. And then, of course, the fourth generation, which is current cup car, uh, being the ND, which is 2016 to current, uh, which there's two versions within the ND as well. So each one of these generations kind of had a, uh, you know, a half version somewhere in between, you know, the NAs with the 1.6 and the 1.8 uh, right. would be the example of that early on, too. And the MX-5, spec MX-5 is based on the NC, right? Correct. The right. third generation NC is all is all spec MX-5. Got it. Sean, you were going to jump in. Yeah, so... Um... One of the cool things here, I think, uh, to answer your question is the partners, right? The partners that we've brought on to to help with this. So um, with David's vision and Josh's vision back in, in the very beginning, it's like, let's not build a car that we have to then try to shove into an existing rule set. Let's build what we want, and then we'll worry about the rule set later. Right. So the partners that are involved in this, Penske, Roush, uh, we went to Torsen. This this car did not have a Torsen rear end. We love the Torsen rear end and the Spec Miata. We went to Torsen. Hey, will you make us a Torsen? Absolutely. So um, uh, CNR for cooling, Penske for shocks, uh, Roush for engines, uh, Torsen, Josh, who else? We, I mean, we've got kind of the who's who, right, of best in the business as far as parts go. So different than a spec Miata from that perspective. In some cases, we kind of wanted to keep <laughs> racers from themselves in some scenarios. So a cooling package was, was a great example, right? A lot of times people want to put a small cooling package in the car that doesn't do it justice, car gets hot, car has problems, and they think it's the car's fault when really it didn't have the proper cooling package from the beginning. So we really tried to make sure that we made this thing as reliable it could as it could possibly be. Um, it's very under stress. Josh can talk about that, especially on the engine. It, we could have gone um, considerably higher with RPM. We could have gone, I mean, there's cams. There's a lot of things we could have done that we just chose not to do to make sure that it was reliable. Right. Um, Right. And adding to that, you know, we have Molly for pistons. The, the cars are forged uh, pistons, which turns it into a complete forged rotating assembly. Mm. Uh, and that was really durability based as well as spec. Um, you know, we, we can control uh, compression height and dome height of the piston because we can we can get away from a factory piston and really, you know, find new detail on the, on the forged piston. Uh, pack it for the brake pads to, to Sean's point. ABS cars can be very... Uh, hard to fine tune in uh, from a pad compound standpoint. So we utilize some of our factory drivers like Tom uh, Long and Andrew Carbonell to really help us dial in the brake pad package to work with this ABS system. And Package was great with that. They you know, worked hand in hand with us with that and with the cup car. Um, and we've, we've continuously evaluated that from a standpoint you know, Eibach has always been kind of a stable uh, with us as well. You know, they 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 bring the springs and bars to Spec Miata, so we thought that was a, a relatively easy button to bring it over to Spec MX-5, and that's what was running the cup cars as well. Yeah. Uh, so it, it really is a who's who of, from a manufacturer standpoint who's involved in the series. And Ray's on the on the wheel side of things. We gave the thing a 17 by 8 uh, forged rims. I mean, that's one of them sitting back there on the ground, actually. So, um Really nice package overall, to be honest. I, I chuckled because I checked the chat when you mentioned 145 horsepower. Some guy you might know, Meathead, suggested that Drago's Spec Miata is making that kind of horsepower. 
if I don't let people troll, I have no fun, by the way. So tro- trolls are... Maggie's missing some cubic inches to make 170 horsepower. So it's... <laughs> Trolls are welcome and encouraged. No, just kidding. Sure. Um, so, so can I just buy a crate and drop it in or do I it'd still be legal or do, or do I have to go through all of the rebuild with the, with the different pistons and everything? So we, we offer a Specamix 5 crate motor. Okay. Uh, so you can do it either way. Um, you can buy the pieces and parts and assemble it yourself if that is what you so desire, or you can buy a crate motor from us. Um, and it's very competitive. It's well within the realm of a current top builder SM motor. So we kept that price point in mind, and that was very much a target for us. Um, and we're constantly looking to evaluate to make sure that we keep it at that price point. So. Right. So, but I can't keep the motor that came with the car. I got to go with at least that crate. I mean, Correct. I probably wouldn't want to, but if I was just trying to get in and get started, you know, and didn't mind running back of the pack, um, that's not going to be allowed. That would not, that would not fit into the spec package. And that, and that comes down to is what we were, we were really not looking to develop a entry level package for that. Right. Um, and because that jeopardizes the spec is really the, the concern. Well, and, and, and I think also it makes sense in, in so much as that you, you don't want a couple of cars hanging way off the back because it doesn't, it doesn't show, it doesn't show well. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't look good on TV. I get it. Absolutely. It, it doesn't do the homologation justice because right. when you, when you, when you build to the homologation, the cars are really in lockstep with each other. Yeah. Very. So if I want to build one, what's it going to cost me? So we've we've done that math. How do you want to answer this, Sean? We want to answer from a part standpoint. <laughs> or we, we we tend to shy away from labor because labor can be varying, right? right? So we've we've crunched the numbers pretty hard, and I think Sean and I where we land on the last the last sheet we did. So very very similar to a spec Miata. So if we went to a shop and wanted a top flight spec Miata, there's shops in the country that that number is going to start with a five and might get to a six. Um, if we went to a shop with this car. It's probably going to start with a high four, low five, might get to a six, depending on seat data, things like that. So one of the things that that we've we've tried to crunch and look at is is what do the parts cost? What are all the hard parts? And when we look at the hard parts, right now this appears, and this is something that we'll we'll be making public at some point. But right now this vehicle appears to be about thirty five hundred dollars more in hard parts than a spec Miata. Now you're definitely going to get some some comments in the chat on that, right? <laughs> so here's the difference. The difference is with this car, you're kind of writing one check for all the parts to one place. With a spec Miata, you're buying it from 15 different vendors in 15 different places. But we'll make it public and you can see it. You can go down the list and look at the suspension package and what it costs for SM versus SMX. So, you know, SM, the beauty of SM is it's an entry-level class. You can come in with a $10,000 car, $9,000 car and be in the game. We weren't trying to recreate. Sure. Another entry level class, right? Because they wouldn't they wouldn't be cohesive with one another. So, um, if you're going to build a top flight, or maybe top flight's not the right ter- term, if you're going to build a competitive SM, you're going to spend very similar money to what this is going to be right. within, I would say, five thousand dollars. Is there a single source cage, or am I looking for a local cage builder? No, there's not a single source cage. We didn't want to go down that path. We wanted to allow people to use their preferred cage builder. Um, being in the cage business as long as I have, I've learned very a long time ago that cages are emotional topics for people and they like what they like. Uh, we're happy to support that. 
Um, one of the other things that we felt was very important um, in the early stages, we brought some of the top SM engine builders in the country uh, into the rule set, into the rule writing process and just said, hey, what, you know, what do you guys think? Because we, we didn't want to be in a position where an engine builder would be not wanting to run the series simply because they couldn't build the engine. We wanted them to be able to do that, um, you know, again, just to help diversify their business model as well, right? Sure. Times are changing whether we like it or not. We want everybody to to make sure they've got an opportunity to play and and continue to to diversify their business and so on and so forth. Right. And and that really falls into the home builder versus the shop versus single source and understanding that grassroots atmosphere that we had to offer options. You know, we we want engine builders to participate in this. We we want people that don't have a clue who to go ask to be able to have an option to buy a crate motor. You know, it, it it's really the the options that make it you know viable for everybody and whatever suits their best needs. Sure. And engine engine wise, I think Josh, what are we fifty fifty, maybe fifty five forty five as far as um, crate oh. or um, turnkey versus um, engine builder. It's tough to say how many privateer engines have been built today, but I can tell you this, that we've sold over 87 crate motors so far for the class. Um, What's the so price point on a crate motor? You're, lo you're looking without discounts about an $8,000 crate motor. So, and we continuously have sales to promote builds uh, towards the end of the year. And we're looking to do something very similar for a national class announcement that there will be a sale that is associated with that. And that puts it right in the you know 7,500 territory uh, with the sale price with the purchase of an entire kit. I feel silly asking this question because anybody who shows up on any weekend with SCCA, I think is pretty clear the commitment of Mazda Motorsports to this platform. Um, but this is a new deal, and anyone who's getting into a new deal wants to know that the 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 the, the gal who brought you to the dance is going to go home with you. Um, how committed is Mazda to the long term? This 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 whole spec MX five for 20, 25, 30 years. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May thirty first, we'll give you five dollars for every twenty you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Huh. This, this, is, this is the future of the department from a spec series from our standpoint, especially in the grassroots realm. You know, the cup cars still got plenty of age in it at the pro territory before it comes down to grassroots. Um, our commitment uh, upon a national announcement is a seven-figure commitment. And that, is, that encompasses contingency, uh, part support, uh, technical support, and our at-track support. We are looking to upgrade our uh, at-track parts trailer. We've recently uh, been in conversations with Bravo Trailers, which is a uh, partner of the SCCA as well. And uh, they're building us a new 40-foot gooseneck trailer that we are going to be uh, supporting this series and Super Tours, um, as well as some other series as well. Uh, but we are absolutely committed to this. This is this is very very important to this department. For sure. Right. Um, I I, I asked this because I'm serious about it, and because I'm actually I've actually considered building my own formula car. Um, um, you said earlier on that the the the, the greenhouse is bigger in this plat in in this car. Um, is there? <laughs> 
Um, I have a hard time fitting in a spec Miata. And uh, like I said, I have a, I have a width problem, um, my own problem working on it. But nonetheless, I, I find that, you know, we, a lot of us bigger guys and gals get, get kind of knocked out of the sport at some point in time if we can't fit in the car. Um, what's, the, what's the ability for someone who's a little more on the rotund side in this platform? I would say of the MX-5s, this is the, the best possibility. Um, we, we added 25 pounds to the spec series since we, we debuted it. Um, some, something similar to that. Give, give people the room to have the amenities they wanted in the car, like a cool shirt and Greta and fire bottles. You know, we're, we're starting to kind of operate on the ragged edge of the light end. So we, we added 25 pounds to it early on, but, um, you don't even need a drop floor in one of these cars. That's okay. how much, that's how much room it is compared to an MV. Uh, I think Sean's, uh, car that he's got on the West coast, uh, you know, he can fit in it on a stock floor just by getting rid of the factory seat mounts and making it flat. Yeah. Uh, so not even protruding in and dropping the floor, like you would see in a new NV uh, build for spec Miata. So really the the biggest greenhouse and cabin area of any of the cars. Yeah, my problem's never with headroom. <laughs> my problem's with the room the other way. But no, I get it. I get it. Um, and with, with, with how we allow the doors to be gutted, which is not anything special, you know, but door gutting, you know, is, is fairly common in all right. these series. There is lots of elbow room in these cars. Sure. You can put uh, wide seats from any of your, you know, name brand manufacturers in it, whether it's uh, MPI or Sparco or Racetech, um, they all fit in these cars very easily. Right, right. All right, so it's not a national series at the moment. Um, what is the prognosis for that potentiality? Because I know you wouldn't be doing this if that weren't the end game. Um, what's what's the timetable, do you think? And obviously, it, it all depends on numbers, right? I, that that has been the vision from day one. Um, our goal and vision is to be a national spec series, um, and we're really moving forward to that. We've had 100-plus car kits sold uh, and in construction. We've had really good attendance numbers, and we've been in conversations with the SCCA all year from a staff standpoint and the CRB. Um, they, they are doing their best to accommodate us and make sure that we can be a national class as soon as possible. And we all hope that as soon as possible is 2024. Um, I know that the CRB has meetings this week, and that is one of the topics of discussion. Um, but the the reality of it is they're not telling us no. Um, they're doing what they can. They're asking questions. They're they're certainly being very accommodating, and we're we're here every step of the way. Um, it, it's really a partnership, and that's the best way to, to say it. And we're. We're really waiting to be able to mutually announce this together, and we'll be happy to do so when they're ready. So when this car gets put out with the rest of our classing nonsense, um, it's probably not going to have its own race. I don't have the cars for that just yet. I'm sure that's the hope, and if it's anything like Spec Miata, it'll get there. But where does it fit? Does it fit with a production car? Does it fit with STU? Does it, where does it fit in the way we do things? So, so currently it runs into the performance envelope of STL. Um, and that's its spec line right now as a secondary kind of double dip for the car, similar to what SM does right now. Um, it's really in that performance envelope. I'll say it's not a top, uh, it's not a podium, you know, national class STL car. Uh, but, you know, majors and regionally, it does very good. It could be top five, top three car. 
Um, it could also run depending on how run groups go and how run groups for the weekends are are you know formulated in the touring group or in the super, super touring group, which super touring sometimes runs with uh, the production group. Um, so it, it, it's it from a performance envelope standpoint, it it can fit within those three run groups, but that's really going to be up to attendance numbers for the weekend and where the SCCA chooses to, to place it from a run group standpoint. Yeah. Um, there could be some big events that we do have numbers to justify our own group, but that's to be determined. So, yeah. um, you know, we do have some good run group numbers based on what Sean was talking about earlier. Um, but that's, that's really a, a to be determined is probably the most fair way to, to state it. What, so Josh, where, where do they run us with cat nationals? So last week at Road America, we had 20, 21 cars. Where did they put us? They split group us with SM. Um, so okay. SM had about 28, 30 cars at Cat Nationals, and we had uh, right at eight, 18, 19 cars. Yeah, right at 20. I think I think we had one car with a mechanical on test day, so we were, we were at 20 and then went down to 19. But they split group us with SM, and it works very well. They put us in the front um, since we're a little bit faster than SM, and at a, at a track like Road America with enough space to, to stretch your legs, it works out very well. So at Road America with four miles from uh, from checker to from green to checker, how many laps did it take, or did the did the spec MX5 catch catch the front of the spec Miata field? I would I would say if we had great conditions, they probably would have caught it towards the end of the race. Okay, probably taking three quarters of the race to get there. Uh, unfortunately, weather conditions on Saturday did not really play very well. Uh, the SMX cars, the entire field went out on wets, and then the track dried due to a uh, uh, basically a, a caution delay before we launched off grid. Mm. Uh, so that scenario did not play out, and and very unfortunate Sunday, the race was cut extremely short. We only went uh, one lap under green before it was put under caution due to a bad incident. Yeah, uh, and they had to. You know, um, Basically, red, red red flag the race, or no, they didn't red flag to be fair, but they black flag the race and brought everybody in. So we did we did not get to play out that scenario there uh, specifically. So you guys can both answer this. Um, I know Josh, you're very accessible. So my suspicion is there's a lot of Spec Miata guys and gals who have your phone number or your email address. And, Absolutely. And I'm sure, knowing that group of people, there is no lack of opinions. Um, about everything what are the what are the spec miata drivers telling you about their thoughts on and sean you can weigh in too on on spec mx5 so sean you see it all i'll I'll piggyback on it (laughs) sure so so i think there's a little bit of a misconception that that all of our drivers are coming from sm sure that's not where they're coming from we're getting a lot of guys it's not where you're getting the drivers from i want to know what the people who are currently in sm are thinking about this new thing i think there's certainly some fear of what what's going to happen to sm um you know is the value of my car going to go down um you know i just try to focus on the fact that we've improved upon the things in sm that we just can't improve upon one platform Uh, we have a technical partnership with aim that has changed the way that technical compliance is done. It's insane what these guys are able to do um, within 30 minutes of cars being off track. So things that, you know, in SM, we're never gonna get away from, oh, this guy's got more power, that guy's got more power, he's cheating, she's cheating. We're never gonna get away from that just because, you know, by by the way, the type A's that racers are. Drivers Um, think other drivers are cheating? No. A little bit, a little bit. 
I can't so, imagine. <laughs> Sorry. We get we get a lot of carters, right? That's another Josh can speak to that, but we get a lot of people coming from the carting ranks. Okay. Um, but I think there's certainly some trepidation. I, I can tell you that some of my guys um in the Northwest, they've been racing a spec Miata for 15, 18 years, and some of them are like, I'm up for a change. Yeah. The car, the car only weighs a hundred pounds more than an NB. It's got what another 50 horsepower. So it's, you know, it's not, um, uh, it's not a big jump per se, but it's enough of a jump and enough of a change that some of them are interested in doing that. Yeah. I would, I would say to, to maybe a detail or a technical side of things, the, the concerns or questions, um, why the tire we chose, why spec pads, um, and, um, the understanding that this is such a different platform from the NA and NB. Uh, the most things that people get wrong stepping into it is chassis setup. Uh, if you set this car up like an NA or an NB, you will absolutely hate it. You will, you will think this car is diabolical, <laughs> is awful to drive, and it's trying to kill you. And it is just, you've got to wrap your head around a different mindset from a chassis setup. The five-link rear end is something that is very unique, um, and when done wrong, can make the car very nervous and very loose. Um, but we, again, back to the earlier statements, we provide a lot of information, a lot of baseline setup, and and maker rig info and shock in, uh, shock dynographs to try to set people up that, for success as much as possible. Um, I'm always available, you know, we could, for consulting. Um, these, the tire, I think the biggest thing that most people uh, fail to ask the question of why is, you know, they they think they want a faster tire or a tire with more grip. Um, but within a spec series with everybody on the same thing, it, it produces a scenario where it's sticker to win and it's just throwing money at it. Well, it and that's not what I want to do. The Toyo is a really good spec tire and very durable for, for this class and this car. Right. So. And case in point, I mean, we now have this new thing where they're working on doing uh, the spec the spec Miata, you know, gentleman agreement where they're using one tire for the full weekend. So if they're complaining about wanting a faster tire, it's almost a little kind of hypocritical, right? Because they're saying one thing to you, but in reality, they're asking for something else on the other side, right? And and we've done the same thing with the SMX this year. It is a is a one set of tires limit. What you show up to Q1 gets marked. And then you race that all weekend right. for the same reason. It, it, it we we understand the cost to entry and a barrier of cost to compete is is, is significant these days, and we're trying to reduce that. So, and I gotta tell you, if their biggest concerns are a spec pad and a, and the tire you've chosen, that's pretty dang good because if if you got that wrong, and I'm not saying you did, but let's just say in a year you go, man, we we effed that up. Those are the two easiest things to change, right? And and the consumables, they're gone. So if it's wrong, it's burnt right. today, gone tomorrow, you replace it, you know, the next day. So you're right. From a from a tunability standpoint, the package does really offer yeah. some freedoms here. Um, and the pad thing is really more of a going from a non-ABS car to an ABS car. Okay. And that learning curve of tuning the pads to an ABS car. Some people will get it. I, I know there's people that, that will probably chime in and say, oh, we've had that figured out since Playboy Cup, and we've, we've tried everything. you got to remember the new people to the sport that haven't tried it at all. And, and this, is, this is another you know, barrier to entry, and it's, it's, it's reducing that technical knowledge that you know that everybody's on the same path. So that's not your problem if you are having a problem. Right. And the pads do work very well. So. Sure. 
right, we're coming up on the clock. We're going to go. Are you guys okay if we go a little bit long? Sure. I knew that. Absolutely. Was, I knew that was going to be the answer. Um, <laughs> um, but I do want to hit, hit on a couple things. You mentioned AIM. Um, and you guys did a whole like webinar a couple of weeks ago that I unfortunately couldn't attend. Tell us just a real briefly how that works. So these cars are a CAN data bus system, uh, and they offer a ton of data through that system through the OBD2 port. And AIM has spent a lot of time and effort all the way back to the cup car and adding and perfecting to today, uh, sniffing out that network for all of the pertinent information that we want. We can see um, wideband, we can see mass airflow in grams per second, uh, ignition timing, uh, spark knock retard. Uh, we can see um, brake pressure in the dynamic stability control cars. So that's a good driver tuning tool. We can mm -hmm. see ABS activation. So we know if people are implementing the ABS system and using it, we can we can set ABS alarms. We can set high and high temperature alarms, low voltage alarms. Uh, the amount of information that is available to for uh, to us, not just from a technical compliance standpoint, but a hey, you may be having a problem. You should look here. Bring us your data. We can look at it after the race, and we can really point you in a solid direction. Um, and, and again, that's to just keep the playing field even uh, right. for a big standpoint. Uh, Sean, anything I'm missing there? Yeah, just no. I'll just add that that um, in a new series like this, you know, we got a lot of of younger kids. We got a lot of what we call the masters. We got a lot of different skill sets out there, and we hear an awful lot of, "Well, that guy's faster. That motor's better. How come my motor's down?" And within 30 minutes of being off track our partners at AIM are looking at the data and literally graphing acceleration rate traces, taking out shift points, taking out corners, you know, looking at things that are really making sure that there isn't an outlier, right? That, that the cars are um, right on top of one another. Um, we didn't quite have the full setup last year at our championship event, but we were able through data to catch a car in a non-compliant scenario that actually won on track. And one of the things that folks tell us about the series that they like is is the ability to truly tech the cars and and hold cars accountable, right? With SM and the cars being older, we don't have the technical ability to do all these things without physically pulling things apart, which just isn't reasonable other than one race a year. So um, that for me is really pretty exciting because we're able to not only help the racers, but we're we're really able to shut down some of the that guy's doing something wrong, you know, talk. We're like, nope, here it is. Take a look. And so I'll, that part and I'll, is kind of exciting. I'll add to that. The probably the coolest thing about collecting everybody's data is that within the AIM, you have GPS location of everybody. So you can watch the entire race unfold um, through GPS location of all the cars on track. And that gives us the very unique ability to to distinguish when cars are drafting, when there was mm -hmm. a caution lap, when there was somebody in the way. Why did something unfold the way it happened? Um, you know, and if you further take that and overlay it with video, you can really start to, you know, play out the entire scenario with as much detail that we just don't, we just don't have in every series and every class. So, so, um, I, I've been blessed to be asked to be on the super tour announced team this year, which means I got to do 20 spec Miata races. Um, and they are some of my favorite to call because, it's just in most cases um, when there's not a monsoon at Button Willow, um, but in most cases 
Um, it's just the best, one of the best races of the weekend, sometimes the best race of the weekend. Do these cars with similar talent behind the wheel race like a spec Miata? Am I going to be able to scream at the end of the race and in the middle and in the start and on lap six and on lap four? Am I going to have something to talk about? Absolutely. And I think, uh, the, the biggest thing that would be different from these cars is that the draft is a little bigger. Okay. So oh, so you even gives, get more cars. It gives it gives people an opportunity to make a mistake and catch right back up. Okay. The, the, the frontal area and the greenhouse shape of these cars produce a little bit bigger of a draft, even with the hard top. And the hard top produces a little bit more top speed than what we saw in the cup cars because they ran topless. Um, but the draft was bigger without the top. So there's there's a lot of give and take, but absolutely it's it's just as close to racing. We've seen some of the you know the nail biter finishes, just like you would see in SM. And we expect as this class grows, there's just going to be more people in the mix. We had 15 events this year with P1, P2 finishing less than a second apart, and then our two closest finishes um, were six thousandths of a second. Right. Very cool. It's pretty awesome. So Very the big cool. difference for you calling the race is you won't have to try to memorize as many people at this point in time, um, <laughs> you know, as a 70 car field. Uh, we'll get there some point, but. Well, if you knew how many people I messed up in a 70 car field, <laughs> because I hear about it, the, uh, the, uh, the chats uh, can be relentless in that situation. A um, couple quick things from our chat tonight. Um, uh, let me pull it up here one more time here. Um, we were talking about the size of the car. Meathead uh, chimed in that the NC is a Cadillac compared to an NB. So um, he's not uh, wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> he also mentioned that uh, a nice used SMX car um, is going to run you forty-five to fifty grand. Forty-five to fifty-five grand. So yeah, I would I would say depending on the amount of spares and depending yeah. on the time on um, ones last year were selling in the mid thirties a used car. Um, it's very much a seller's market right now because sure. the there's not enough to go around. So it is driving some of that price. And and really, that's going to be dictated upon how many people start to build cars. Right. Um, and upon a national announcement, we are planning on about 50 car builds is what we're buying parts for, not only for the competition part side, but the OEM side from Japan. That's what we're planning for. So you could see a little bit of a market change just based on demand. So not to say he's wrong, but yes, it's driving that price yeah. that direction. And, you know, your, your your mileage may vary, and it depends on where exactly. you live and the quality of the donor car and all that kind of stuff, which plays into it. So, you know, COVID, COVID really kind of threw us, threw us for a loop, not just from a um, production standpoint and parts availability standpoint, but the used car market just got yeah. inflated like crazy. Donor prices for this class were hit really hard. You used to be able to get a, Three to five thousand dollar donor before the COVID, or before COVID started, and those cars were then seven to ten thousand. Right, right. So that wasn't helping us either, and that wasn't helping drive those prices. So I, I think a lot of that's calming down. I'm not saying we're at the end of it, but we're seeing that those prices start to normalize a little bit. One of the folks who's been on our show a lot, Austin Varco, went uh, went over and did a spec Miata type race over in the UK. Um, so we know the this has gone global, this Mazda explosion that you guys have overtaken the world. Um, are they working on this class, this spec MX-5 and other parts of the world that can add to the viability of, of wanting to keep this whole thing going? 
There is a variant in, in the UK that runs currently and had a little bit of a head start, although the spec is not the same, to be clear. Right. Um, they run some locally sourced bits and pieces, and I think their engine package is a little different. The Australians run a RX-8 cup and have some MX, MX-5s over there as well. Um, their spec is not easily found, um, so I don't, I can't speak to accuracy on that. But there is some growing interest in the chassis as it's becoming affordable is really what it's coming down to. Right. So. You got the spec, the RX-8 behind you. What, why was, it makes me think that the rather than going with the spec MX-5, which could rankle the feathers of the spec Miata folks, that if you were to take the turn to do this with the RX-8, that maybe people would have seen the differences enough that they wouldn't have any issues. Was there ever a thought to do this with the RX-8? Because that's a pretty cool car. You know, I, I think I think fundamentally the the engine package is the struggle for a spec series for a lot of people. I think that barrier from a knowledge standpoint is uh, a little daunting. Uh, I know these cars got a little bit of a bad rap early on, but really come 2010, they were really well-sorted cars. Um and a lot of that was EPA regs and a few things like that yeah. that were beyond our control. Um, you know, we we discussed it lightly, but it really didn't seem to have legs from the donor availability standpoint. Right. We simply brought more MX-5s mm-hmm. to this country than we did RX-8s. Sure. And that's just the flat. That's that's what kind of put it dead in the water right there. Right. Same problem with the FD as well. You know, we just didn't bring enough cars here. Um, and some and that that. Brings us to a, a good talking point. There's roughly 80,000 NCs brought to this country. Um, and every one of those cars is eligible from a donor standpoint to be built into a Spectrum X5. You can convert automatics to manuals. You can uh, you can run a power track of a hardtop car and put the same hardtop on it. Every car can be built into a Spectrum X5. So it really opens the door for that. Wait, C- Sierra made an appearance here. My wife is going to try to retrieve <laughs> The cat behind me. That's all right. Yeah. It doesn't. It's awesome. It, it was only a matter of time for this to happen. I thought the door was shut. There we go. That's my, my amazing wife, Leslie, who lets me play these games. Um, I've got two final questions for you guys. Um, the first one is, um, and the cat has made me completely lose my train of thought. I hate when that happens. Um, what, what, um, What's five years out look like? You know, Sean and I were debating about this. Um, I think the original goal uh, was to have about 1,000 cars, uh, which roughly puts us in the 50% territory of current active SM cars okay. for a number. That, that, that's why that number was chosen. Sure. Um, that is the yardstick for success, in my opinion. I would love to have 50% of what SM has, just from a... Years in, yeah. donor cars available, um, and time to build it. Right, um, like I said, we're planning that. That roughly is, you know, that's a hundred cars a year. Um, you know, that's that's a that's a tall that's a tall order. Yeah. So, um, so. how long did it take to get Spec Miata to a thousand cars? Do you know? Do you have that number in your head? You know that one? I don't. Okay. No. Yeah, I was just curious. Um, no. it would be, it'd and, be... And the number, the numbers on SM are very varying. You know, I think at one point I've heard SM as high as 5,200, 5,300, but I don't know if that's an active number or a total number right. conceived and built. 
Um, so it, it's really hard to track down some of that data. Yeah. Um, Sean, what, what, what excites you about this? Um, more modern car, right? I mean, just the fact that some of the things that we can see with the electronics in the car, um, we t it takes some of the subjectivity out of, you know, I'm not fast because, right? It, it takes some of that out of the equation. It lets us help racers. It lets us, um, you know, make sure racers are, are being proper spec racers and not uh, fudging the rules. So I think for me, that's kind of fun. Um, you know, to Josh's point, I guess some of the, some of the karting kids, um, you know, they, it'd be like asking Josh and I to go race and to go build a brand new MG from the late state. There's, there's no desire for some of these kids to go backwards. They want right. to go forward. Right. Um, you know, some of our masters drivers, you know, they, they like the, the size of the vehicle, right. Um, you know, it's easier to get in and get out. Um, and it's just not that much heavier. It could have been right in T4 trim. She's, she's a little portly, but we tried to keep the weight down, um, you know, for, for, for this class. And, um, you know, I think just, just bringing more racers into the Mazda tent and just having good racing. I've said for years, um, and I'm sure people are sick of me saying it, but I'm going to keep saying it because it's an issue. Um, you know, we've got cars here that are older than like the club <laughs> and, and there's a place to go race those cars and it's called vintage racing. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we have too many classes, um, and that's one way to, to help us in that department. Um, we need to be a club to attract people who are now in carts 15 years from now and 20 years from now when they're making their own money and are coming to go club racing. And, um, MG midgets, great cars, love watching them, driven them a couple times, but that's not going to attract a kid who's 15 now. 25 years from now it's not going to do it um and you won't be able to get parts for those cars anyway right now they don't have parts for them um so the more we can do while i don't love the idea of adding another class i'm more interested in not necessarily not adding this as a class but finding other ways to pare down our classes um and if we want to have a vintage class and put all those old cars in it so there's still a place for them to run with us i'm great with that um, um but this is this more of this type of you know our our f our best small formula cars are 25 years old you know no one's making it very few people are making a new formula 4 chassis nobody's making a new formula v chassis you know and and kids don't want to drive stuff that's like that so um this is a step in the right direction um and uh, so so my 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 too many classes don't bring this is not what this is conversation for me um, it's let's embrace something new that can, that, that can have a longevity out many, many years, um, and then find ways to pare back our classes in another, in another way. And thankfully I don't run the club, so no one has to send me emails, but they're going to anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so Brian, there's, um, there's a key member of the team who's not here tonight that I think Josh, it's worth uh, us mentioning. And that's Justin Corneliuson. Um, he's the spec MX five administrator. So he goes to all the classes or goes to all the races. He's the guy who, who, you know, is, is, um, handling the events, um, trying to have a little bit more of a pro event type of mm -hmm. a field than just a club. Um, but Justin is instrumental to what we're doing and, and has been great with all the competitors and helping grow the series and, he unfortunately wasn't able to make it with us tonight, but just wanted to give a quick shout out to, to him. That's awesome. And, and and I'll add to this, Brian, you know, we're really looking at this as the driver development series, you know, 
from carts to cars. You know, we've had the likes of Connor Zilich, uh, Nate Cicero, um, Weston Workman, and, um, you know, Thomas Annunziata that have all come through SMX and have, have uh, gone to Cup and, and, and done well in Cup. This, this really is something that from Mazda and the shootout ladder, we are looking at SMX very hard for picking our at-large bids. Certainly, Mazda still reserves the right to pick from any classes we've done in the past. We've picked from iRacing, we've picked from karting, we've picked from quarter midget drivers and open wheel, and we will continue to offer any, anybody that wins a national championship in a Mazda an opportunity at the shootout ladder system. But this is such a even playing field for us to evaluate all of these new young guns that have aspirations for pro in an even playing field, all in the same atmosphere against each other. Yeah. Um, you really couldn't ask for a better platform and a better series to, to, to give us a fair look at everybody that wants to come. Um, and and that's, that's another big reason that we're looking at this as well. It, it really is part of the ladder system to come for us. All right, since we're, we're, we're out of time, I'm not going to keep you much longer. Um, but I do want to ask you both, is there anything I didn't ask? Or is there any final thought you want to give us before, before we head out? Well, I guess I, where to find more info. Well, that was um, gonna, that's always my final question. So if, right? if, 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 if we're this good, I, I'm so good that there were no more questions that, that needed to be asked. So I, I think the final message for me is that, you know, this is not a, an assault on Spec Miata. They, they live together. Um, you know, we love Spec Miata. We're always going to love Spec Miata. We're doing everything we can to, from a from a smack perspective and a Mazda perspective and a Folsom perspective to make sure that that class is is going to be here for as long as it can possibly be here. Yeah. Um, you know, this is just a another option in the in the system to be able to go out and, um, you know, just race a fun fast car and go have fun with your buddies. All right, where do people get the info? Where do they find the stuff? MazdaMotorsports.com or SpecMX dash five.com uh you can find uh the vts and the homologation at mazda motorsports and you can find sporting regs and series information at spec mx dash five.com cool gentlemen thank you i appreciate it um we'll revisit this down the road i'm sure and talk more about it as as it, it grows and and um uh and i think uh, you guys uh, uh came well prepared for my barrage of questions and i appreciate that Thank you for having us. We look, we'll look forward to doing it anytime with you, sir. Absolutely. All right. That's going to do it for another episode of Inside the SCCA. If you like what you're hearing or watching, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network or the Racing Network on Twitter so you won't miss any episodes. Leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. If it's a bad one, put it on someone else's page. You can follow us on social media uh, to find out who our next guest is. On Twitter, it's Racing Wire Net. There's a new Inside the SCCA every week. I'm Brian Belansky. Have a fantastic weekend and go play with cars. I'm Abby Shear, and when I'm on my way to an autocross, I listen to the Inside, Inside the, the SCCA, SCCA podcast. is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.